This talk was given by Gokhan Bonabakar at Zen Mountain Monastery. Gokhan is a senior monastic in the Mountains and Rivers Order and coordinator for the National Buddhist Prison Sangha. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or to find out more about our retreats and residency programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. This is from the great The Faith Mind poem. The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. When love and hate are both absent, everything becomes clear and undisguised. Make the smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. If you wish to see the truth, then hold no no opinions for or against anything. To set what you like against what you dislike is the disease of the mind. When the deep meaning of things is not understood, the mind's essential peace is disturbed to no avail. The way is perfect, like vast space, where nothing is lacking and nothing is in excess. Indeed, it is due to our choosing to accept or reject that we do not see the true nature of things. The great way is not difficult. The way itself is without difficulty. If it's without difficulty, why do we experience so much difficulty within our own body and mind, in our relationships? What is the way? The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. When love and hate are both absent, everything becomes clear and undisguised. So Sang San, Master Sang San, the author of the Faith Mind poem, is showing us the way, having recognized mind, the nature of mind. He's speaking to us, of inviting us to find for ourselves what is the nature of mind, what is the heart of our life, reminding us that there is something below the surface, below what we normally see, pointing to this mysterious heart of our life. This life is inherently without conflict. Just do not create conflict. I think you could say that we, we all do live in the way, but we're consistently, constantly picking and choosing, moving from preference to preference, wanting, 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 avoiding, 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 How much energy do we spend, do we expend? How much of our life do we spend pursuing pleasure, wanting? How much of our life is spent avoiding discomfort, 
and fear of discomfort, avoiding particular states of mind, particular emotional states, particular physical sensations. If you wish to see the truth, then hold no opinions for or against anything. To set what you like against what you dislike is the disease of the mind. He's asking us, do you wish to see the truth? To live in the way. I do. How do we do this? Sangsan is is talking about our attachments, about grasping, non-grasping. In this constant push-pull of desire and aversion, this kind of insecure, unstable place, unsettled place that that puts us in, that we live in. The Buddha said that in working with hindrances, in working with the things that um, hinder us in our meditation, that disturb our equanimity, that keep us from seeing things as they are, from living in the way. He said that first we should know when a hindrance is present and know when a hindrance is absent. And so these are his practice instructions to us. It's helpful to know what we're feeling, what we're experiencing, to know what's going on inside. And this in itself takes practice, is, in my experience, a big part of practice, ongoing, just to know what's happening, what's going on in me, in my body-mind. And so he's pointing to the importance of simply recognizing our desire, recognizing our aversion, accepting that in a sense. Hojin Sensei said something yesterday during the coming-of-age ceremony about accepting, seeing, just seeing the truth of our desire, of our aversion. We do that. That's part of our human experience. And so recognizing when our mind is held by desire, how does that feel? What's happening in our body-mind when there is desire that is pulling, when there is grasping, it's taking our attention? What do fear or aversion feel like? directly in our body-mind, in our direct experience. And if we're paying attention, there are many opportunities to study this because it's happening all the time, throughout the day. 
There are different textures, different levels of intensity. But it's happening all the time. And also to pay attention to study what what does it feel like, what is it to let go of a desire? When we let go of a thought stream of desire. And so in Rizazen to really study this, when you're consumed by a thought, a desirous thought, a pleasurable thought, simply to pay attention. Sometimes these are the difficult thoughts to let go of. So you have some time to spend with them and to pay attention. And to pay attention, so to keep your awareness open and to work at letting it go. How does it feel when you're in that thought? What is it? What's happening? And when you do let go of the thought, or when the period comes to an end, then what? To pay attention to that. What's there? Did you get what you wanted? Maybe you did get what you wanted, right? It was pleasurable. Thoughts in themselves create pleasure, and we know how to do that, create that. They're just thoughts. Does this satisfy? Is this the truth of our life, where we want to live, where you want to live? And then to look at, well, where's the problem? It was pleasurable. Where's the problem? How is it that this liking is the disease of the mind, is keeping us outside of the way, separate from our, from our life? This grasping. How is it keeping us from seeing things as they are? Is the thing that we desire a problem? Is the desire itself a problem? And to look at attachment, how do we see attachment? What is attachment? Again, just in your own experience, in your mind. This asks for continuous study. We study grasping where we are as we can see it. And as we let go, learn to let go, loosen our attachments, to continue to study our attachments, to study our grasping as they get more or as we're able to see more and more subtly the levels of grasping 
It is deep in us. And we are identified with our desires. Maybe that's what the grasping is about. We were talking about this. I was meeting with some of the uh, newer residents, the month-long residents earlier this week, and kind of talking about exactly this. About letting go. What just happened? Where did it go? And one of them said, recognizing this, said, yeah, when I was immersed in that thought, I thought that was who I was. That is who you were. So it's hard to let go of of thoughts. Do we want to let them go? Who would we be without our desires, without the pursuit of desires? The Buddha said, or his, in a sense, these are his, his, this is his teaching and his instruction, is to say, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not myself. Who am I then? So again, we can study our attachments. We should study our attachments, our grasping. How do we study non-grasping? How is it when we let go? What is it to truly let go? He says, if you wish to see the truth, then hold no opinions for or against anything. To set what you like against what you dislike is the disease of the mind. And so there is what we like and there is what we dislike. How is it that we set them against each other? What happens when we do that? Are like and dislike so different from one another? And so also to look at discomfort. This human life is full of discomfort. And that's not going to change. That seems to be part of, just part of the deal. Sometimes it's too hot. Sometimes it's really cold. A lot of times we don't get what we want. People criticize us, disagree with us. So how do we work with discomfort? Not setting it against what we like. Not disturbing our mind in trying to avoid it. And I've been thinking about um, the importance of learning to tolerate discomfort. And then in my experience of practice, this has been um, um, 
I suppose how I've how it's like this is where the study of discomfort is and our relationship with discomfort. And this really starts from the very beginning of practice. The, the discipline of the stillness of zazen, the stillness in the zendo. Which helps us, gives us the opportunity to kind of give up trying to constantly change the circumstances. And so in the zendo, unless you're the monitor... It's not our responsibility if it's too hot, it's too cold, the person next to you is sniffling. We have offered the opportunity to work with our experience in that, in, those, in that moment, in those conditions, without trying to change them, whatever our experience is. The stillness of zazen, the discipline of that, helps us to helps to cut through the constant adjusting that we do in trying to make ourselves maintain some comfort, avoid any discomfort. And then we can allow ourselves to slow down and actually study what's happening. Study when discomfort arises, the nature of discomfort. And so when there's physical pain, you can't deny that experience. You can't deny the pain in your knee. But what happens when you turn towards it, not liking or disliking? not trying to get away from it or make it go away. What happens when you actually relax and let that sensation be, be there? Just be a sensation. What happens when you merge your mind with that sensation? What do you find then? It's not what you thought it was. Right? What did you think it was? It's not what you were reacting to. What were you reacting to? The sensation? Or your ideas about it? Your fear of it? How do we usually respond to discomfort? And each time that we experience discomfort and don't turn away from it, we get to see what happens. We learn that it's actually okay to experience that discomfort. It's just a sensation. It's just a passing experience. It passes. And nothing catastrophic happened. Again, can learn to trust that passing nature. And so to study this, where is the suffering? Where is the separation? From what? From our experience? 
What are we separating ourselves from? What happens when we turn in? And of course, we're not trying to be uncomfortable, right? So, we'll disclaimer, right? Sometimes discomfort is telling you something. And so to be wise, sometimes discomfort is telling you to leave. But in Zazen, in, you know, in working with, with physical pain in Zazen, you know, there's sort of a simplicity to it. It's not complicated. And so it can be a good place, actually, to learn. And then see, knowing what happens, having some direct experience, developing some trust in what happens when we actually turn towards discomfort, tolerate discomfort. Then we can use that in more complicated situations. Recently, um, we've been um, choosing, sort of in the process of choosing a contractor for the Jizo House reconstruction. And um, we had some meetings that we had set up to meet with the different contractors that had given us bids. And I was really anxious about it, meeting with them, having to make a decision, having to tell someone no, having people disagree with me. And, um, you know, I shared with Sean that I was feeling really anxious about this, and she was kind of supportive and um, kind of validating that, you know, that sounds stressful. And um, then I brought it up again, and she was like, you know, you're just going to have to tolerate your discomfort. And if we never learn to tolerate our discomfort, if we never kind of learn about our discomfort, then what happens? I think that's actually a question in this day and age because it is so easy to turn away, to distract, and not feel what's actually happening. We can, in a sense, change the circumstances constantly. at least by distracting ourselves. But we can't get away. We can't step out of our life. And so I think an important place to look in looking at discomfort is just the fear of discomfort. How much of our discomfort is actually fear of what might, we might feel, what we expect to feel the anticipation of the pain, which we overestimate, but the pain that to come. And so, you know, I see that in myself when there's a, a conversation that I think is going to be difficult and how I avoid it. And what I'm avoiding is what I imagine might happen 
right? How I imagine I might feel in that conversation. You know, and usually it's not that bad. Going into these meetings with contractors, there was actually no pain at all. (laughs) Once it started, once they started. You know, and I was thinking, and now it's like ancient history. Two weeks ago. I was so caught up in that. And so again, not to deny our experience of our fear, of the discomfort itself. Actually to allow ourselves to feel that. There is a truth to that experience. Again, it may be telling you something. Maybe it's always telling you something. But it's not who you are. It's not who I am. While I was working on this talk, um, I came across an article in the New York Times that um, about um, American women who are running really fast marathons. And I was, I think, interested in this because I used to run, and I many, many years ago ran a marathon. Um, but apparently, American women in their 30s and 40s, so older than you might think, are running really fast marathons. Um, in 2016, 200 women qualified for the U.S. Olympic trials in the marathon, and this year over 500 qualified. And um, the article is not so much about that or explaining why that was happening, but um, the writer um, was a runner, sort of in her younger days, and at age 35 um, decided to try and qualify for the Olympic trials. She says, it was incredibly hard. It required a total reset in how I thought about myself and what I can do. I had always thought that at some point in life, most people become who we are. Our lives are built around whatever that is. And no matter what we might actually be capable of, this idea keeps us fixed in one place. And she said that as she trained... She says, I realized that I'd become complacent in the rest of my life. Wasn't it all enough? She said, training was really hard. Her goal seemed impossible. She says, but I kept trying, repeating something someone told me about getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. She says, it never got comfortable. And she kept training even though it seemed impossible. And she says, then it became possible. And one evening after logging 22 miles in Central Park, close to my goal pace, I paused. Who did I think I was? And she says, then something unexpected happened. I realized that I could do a lot of other impossible things. I could be a reporter like the journalists I'd always admired. 
I can produce work that changes corporate policies and reaches millions of people, and I could help others along the way. So how is it that our ideas about ourselves keep us fixed in one place? Sangsan says, the way is perfect like vast space where nothing is lacking and nothing is in excess. Indeed, it is due to our choosing to accept or reject that we do not see the true nature of things. The way is perfect. I think this is the same perfect that Dido Rocha used to use. And he would say over and over again, Each one of us is perfect and complete, lacking nothing, nothing in excess, just as we are. But we're constantly defining ourselves in relation to others, to things, comparing, accepting, and rejecting. And this, too, is very subtle and deep, constant. I've been looking at how the judging that I do of others is really about me. It's how I'm defining myself, creating myself, continuing myself. So how do we define ourselves? We're attached to our reactions, to our hindrances. Without anger and irritation and all of that judgment, who would I be? Without desires, who would I be? Without drama and excitement, What is my life? And this runs deep. Sometimes you'll see as our mind settles how we're attached to thought, just just to being in thought. Kind of discomfort, dis-ease with the mind being quiet, being settled. Now what do I do? if there are no thoughts to struggle with? How do we learn to be comfortable with that, open into that? Explore there, who am I? What is this? So look close in the subtle ways that we limit and warp our lives because of our fear and desire, the ways that we become complacent, believe that this is just who who we are, the ways that we turn away from what is true because of our fear of discomfort. How often does a lie, subtle or not so subtle, come from 
discomfort, the fear of, discom- of the discomfort that will come if we tell the truth. How we avoid my favorite tactic, kind of shut down a little bit, to avoid discomfort, turn away rather than turning in. I think this is sometimes we kind of change our practice. This is too hard. So we shift it a little bit, make it a little bit more comfortable, not quite so hard. Or just quietly give up, maybe in a subtle way, accept things as they are. And when we look out at the world, we see this happening. So many of our so-called leaders who are clearly acting out of fear, self-concern, turning away from what they must know is true and better for the whole. Wherever we stand, our actions have an effect in this life of ours, personally, and ours, collectively, needs taken care of. So we'll finish with Sangsan, again pointing to the mystery, inviting us, reminding us. How do we live in accord with the way? It says, when the deep meaning of things is not understood, The mind's essential peace is disturbed to no avail. The way is perfect, like vast space, where nothing is lacking and nothing is in excess. Indeed, it is due to our choosing to accept or reject that we do not see the true nature of things. Thanks for listening. Do you have physical challenges to visiting Zen Mountain Monastery or Fire Lotus Temple? The Diamond Net is a group of Mountains and Rivers Order students who are available to support your practice. We provide Dharma and other support to Sangha members facing life challenges such as illness or mobility issues. If you would like to visit the monastery or the Zen Center but need some physical help, someone from the Diamond Net can assist you. For information, email diamondnet at mro.org or visit our webpage at zmm.org and look under the Programs menu.